0: Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us.
1: Yeah, CORE Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday.
0: And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. Well, today's gonna be a really good day. It's already off to a great start. And for those of you that are new, my name is Eric and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are continuing with our series this morning where we are talking about the genius of generosity. What the world calls foolish, God calls genius. And we've been looking at several stories of women in scripture and what we have to learn from them when it comes to being generous. And what's so cool about this series is that you're gonna hear from different women all throughout the course of this series. Last week, Brad and Laura co-taught, which was incredible to hear. Uh, this morning, my wife is gonna join me for part of the message, so I'm excited for you to, uh, to get to hear her heart on what it means to be generous. Pastor Paula is gonna be speaking. Pastor Alicia is gonna be speaking. It, it's, this series is just full of incredible communicators that we are gonna hear from when it comes to what it means for us to be generous in our life. And the, the one, one thing that Pastor Brad and Laura said last week, they, uh, last week they talked about the genius of following. And one thing that they said that really stood out to me was this, vulnerability is where you learn to trust God. Jesus is first, everything else is negotiable. I loved how they talked about their commitment to giving and the way that they practiced daily gratitude. It was incredible. If you, ha- if you didn't catch that message, I encourage you to check out the podcast and listen to that. Well, today we're gonna to be in a book in the Old Testament called 2 Kings. And we're looking at a story about the prophet Elisha and how he helps a poor widow. For those of you that don't know, Elisha was a prophet. And a prophet is somebody who shares God's messages. So God would share a message to the prophet and the prophet would deliver it to a person or to a group of people. And we see here in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse one through seven, it says this. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out. She said, my husband who served you is dead and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors and go into your house with your sons. Shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. And so she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Today, we're gonna talk about the genius of faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we have to be here and to open your word. May we never take that for granted. And I pray that as we, as we open your word and as we look at this story, that our hearts would just be open to receive from you today. And I want to say only what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. We ask these things in your name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, what are you prepared for? It's a good question. Think about that for just a second just in general with life, what are you prepared for? It's it's, it's good to be prepared. My son Noah is prepared for anything and everything. He is the person in our family that if you need it, he's got it. And when we go on adventures, when we go on a hike, when we go exploring, he has everything that you need for that. He's got tools, he's got snacks, matches dehydrated meals, not just the uh, ice cream cone that you, uh, or the ice cream sandwich. You remember those, the, the Neapolitan dehydrated ice cream sandwich? He's got full meals of that stuff that are just as disgusting, but super cool, because you're eating it out of a bag. It's amazing. And he's got tarps, extra socks, poison, I- poison ivy spray, and he's got a hatchet. I mean, anything that you need for a full day of exploring, adventuring, hiking, Noah's your guy. He is prepared. So there's prepared, like my son Noah. But then there's another level of prepared, like there's prepper prepared. Have you you heard this term, people known as preppers? I looked at the, the actual definition of this, and this is how the word prepper is defined. A prepper is a person who believes that a catastrophic disaster or emergency is destined to occur in the future... And they make active preparations for it, typically by stockpiling a few things food, ammunition, and other supplies. I love how others is just in quotes, because they want to sound organized and like they're not going too overboard. Food, ammunition, and other supplies. So the end of the world is what they're preparing for. Now, but what is it exactly that they're preparing for? What event? What worldwide catastrophe is it that they're preparing for? Because they're stockpiling all of this stuff for a specific purpose that they have in mind when the world kind of comes to an end. But when is it going to be? What is it that, it, that it's going to be? When is it going to happen? I, I found this from an official article on the internet about a prepper community, so we know it's true. <laughs> they said, there's no agreement among preppers about what disaster is most imminent. So they can't even tell you exactly what disaster is coming, when it is coming. All that they can tell you is that they're prepared for it. So they can't say which one is most likely. All they know is that when it happens, they're gonna be ready. But what kinds of events, what kind of world-changing catastrophes are they prepared for? Here's a list of things that I found that they are prepping for. And as you can imagine, this is just a few things because the list is quite extensive. They're preparing for worldwide economic collapse. So when, when globally there is an economic failure at an unprecedented level, they're gonna be prepared for it. War at a global level. Invasion or takeover from a foreign or domestic power. A global pandemic. So yeah, they could have been people that we could have called three years ago to be like, what in the world do we do? Where did you guys get all this stuff? And they could have told it, you know, for the last 30 years, have you seen the shows on National Geographic? That, that was me, like, I, I'm prepared. That would have been the person to call. And I heard, I heard somebody whisper it, I'm not sure who it was, but believe it or not, and, and prepper communities are split on this, but believe it or not, they are prepping for the zombie apocalypse. So when the undead runs wild, they're gonna be prepared for it. When the, uh, when the pandemic first hit, I, I instinctively thought of some of the shows that I watched on National Geographic. I don't know if you've seen these shows, but they're incredible. Like the links that people go to, to to prep and to prepare and to make sure that they've got a year's worth of chicken and onions just in jars, ready to go, because that's what we'd all like to eat. And <laughs> Some of you, your faces, you're like, oh. Yeah, that would be that would be disgusting. But I guess, you know, when the world is over, as we know it, chicken and onions might just kind of be what you want. But some of these shows that I watched were just incredible. Doomsday Preppers is one, Hoarders is another. And uh, Hoarders, if you think about it, because don't write them off, Hoarders are like unorganized preppers. <laughs> right? Like... They, they've got all kinds of stuff, but there's only so much you can do with a 1,000 plastic chairs. I mean, there's only so many ways that you can use that. I mean, I can see like a barricade being built or something, I don't know. So the, the pandemic hits, and I was ready to put all of my training, all of my National Geographic show knowledge to the test. And I remember thinking like, all right, this is my moment Like when you feel like God has created you for a specific moment in time in your life and you are able to rise to that and be like, yes, this is what I've just been destined to do. So I went to Walmart. (laughs) Because where else would you go to be prepared for the apocalypse but Walmart? Sam Walton's got it. So I stood in the entryway of Walmart for a solid six minutes And I was somewhat panicked about what it is that I needed to buy to be prepared for this global catastrophe. And it was hard to know what to buy specifically because of everything that I saw everybody grabbing. I saw one guy, I kid you not, I saw one guy with a shopping cart full of chicken ramen noodles. Like just full. I mean, some were falling out, but he was just kind of there at a self-checkout. Imagine how long that took him. I'm sure he just kind of guesstimated, yeah, there's a hundred in here, I don't know, but just full to the brim of chicken Ramen noodles. And then I saw another guy again, I kid you not, he had his cart full of the five dollar DVDs that you see in those huge bins. I don't know why he didn't just wheel the bin to the front to to check out because he had every Toy Story movie they've ever made, and like every other Tom Hanks movie that you can think of was in this cart. And so I'm sitting there going, well. I mean, we need food, and we, we need some kind of entertainment because at that, at that point, we had no idea how long we were going to be indoors, right? Another two weeks, another two weeks, another, another two weeks. So I thought food, entertainment, like it was just hard to know what to buy. So I stood there for a second. I came to my senses, and I asked this question, what will we need to survive? Because as, as the husband, as the father, I wanted to make sure that we were prepared. I wanted to make sure that I was able to provide for my family and that I was the one to do it. And so, being that guy that I am, preparing and providing for my family, I bought a few things. Bought a flat of water. It's important because, you know, when the water shuts off, you want to be able to have six bottles of water because that's going to go real far. I bought a bag of rice. Didn't know if we had any at home, but I guess you can always use another bag of rice. I bought a box of granola bars, the ones that fall apart before you even get them open. Like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then, and then I, bought, uh, I bought four or five cans of this lovely stuff. This is, uh, this is called Spam. <laughs> like the prepper communities, uh, they're quite divided on, uh, on this. But think about it. Can you think of a better meal for the apocalypse? Like we got rice, we got bottled water, we got granola bars, and we got Spam. Like just the glory uh, of this is just incredible. I mean, I'm surprised that they didn't ask me to be a part of the doomsday shows because of the way that I was prepped and prepared for the global pandemic. You know, what's, uh, you know what's interesting about my trip to, to Walmart, other than the guy that had the cart full of movies? Like, seriously, what in the world was he thinking? I mean, to buy a cart full of movies, does anybody have a DVD player anymore? A couple years ago, at the start of the pandemic, I, I just decided, you know what, I'm gonna send students pizza and I'm gonna send them DVDs to watch. And I got tons of text messages replying, hey, thanks for the pizza, Thanks for Space Jam, but we don't have a DVD player. That happened three times. I'm like, what is happening with the families in this church? (laughs) What was interesting about that trip to Walmart was what I bought and why I bought it. What I bought and why I bought it. I was not thinking clearly. Like I panicked and I reacted out of fear, but in my defense... As far as we knew it, things were changing at an unprecedented rate. Like, weren't we just tired of hearing that word? If I never hear that word again, you know, it's just unprecedented times. You know, it's just really unprecedented what we're experiencing in our country. You know, and globally, what we're experiencing is pretty unprecedented. Like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. But in my defense, it really was. But uh, I'm telling you, four cans of spam, when the zombie apocalypse happens, you know where to go. Come to my house because we've got canned meat that uh, some of the ingredients says beef, chicken, and or pork. So they're not even sure what's in this. <laughs> but we've got it. And when the zombie apocalypse happens, will zombies eat this? No, which probably means we shouldn't either, right? Right. What's interesting about some of the preppers as they've been interviewed, whether it's on these shows or just in general interviewing people in one of those communities, what's really interesting about what they've said is why they do what they do. And some of them have said this, they do what they do, I do what I do, I prep and prepare because I want to make sure that I have what I need and have it when I need it and I don't want to rely on anyone else to get it from or have it be provided to me by anyone else. And they didn't use these words, but you could hear in the tone of their voice the fear that they had, the fear that was behind what it was that they were preparing for. They they can be fearful that they won't have what they need when they need it, so they get it and they keep everything that they can. And if you take away a global catastrophe, if you take away the zombie apocalypse, when it comes to our finances, we can do this. We can do this when it comes to our finances. We can tend to want to keep anything and everything that we bring in because there's things that we need. There's things that we want. There's things that we want to do, and we want to make sure that we can get it. We want to make sure that we can do whatever that thing is, and we want to make whatever it is happen. That's just how we can go about doing life. But the flip side of that is that I think all of us who would say that we're followers of Jesus The flip side of that is that we would say we wanna be generous. I I really believe that we would say that we wanna live a generous life, that we wanna be known as as a people that are generous. And maybe you've heard this scripture, it's 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that says, God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I think that we would say that we wanna be known as that kind of person, that kind of person that gives. Generously and gives cheerfully while they're being generous. But we can think, we can think a few things, and maybe maybe these thoughts have rolled around in your head. We can think, I'd give it if I had it. Once I get it, then I'll give it. Or this economy is crazy, okay? When the financial landscape of the country changes and things kinda get back to normal, I'm gonna be able to rework the numbers and reconsider this idea about generosity. Maybe that's been a thought that you've had rolled around in your head. Or maybe about this one. Well, if I win the lottery, I would do all of these things, and the first thing that I would do is to be generous with it. Or we can think this. I've got nothing at all. There's no margin. There's no wiggle room. There's nothing left over. Like, I've barely got enough for me and my family. Like, what's this talk about being generous and going above and beyond? Like, We're struggling enough as it is. I got nothing at all. And what's interesting about that response that we can have at times is that that's the response of the woman in this story. Look back at at chapter four, verse two. Listen to her response. She's come to Elisha, let him know what's happened. And Elisha says, what can I do to help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And this this is her response. She says, nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Nothing at all. If we're all being honest, her response can be our response at times. I've got nothing at all. I, I can't be generous with nothing. And here's some context to really help us understand where this woman is coming from. For these creditors to come and take away her children was devastating. And what this meant was that her sons couldn't work to provide for the family. They would be working to pay off a debt. And at the rate that they had to work compared to what they got paid, the timeline for the debt to be paid was, I mean... It was never going to happen. And so for this woman, she is just overcome with despair, realizing that what these creditors can do in taking her children. There's so much despair that she's feeling, recognizing that if that happens, there's no hope for her future. And so for her to go to Elisha really helps us understand that she was at such a desperate point in her life. And when she said that she had nothing at all, she didn't even see what she did have. It was so little and so insignificant to her that it seemed like nothing. Or maybe not just nothing, maybe just that she couldn't do anything with it. Like, yeah, it's this small thing, but there's, there's, there's no hope to, to use this to make any kind of income. She couldn't even see it. And we can get in the same place. We can get in the same place where we're not thinking clearly, where we're not seeing clearly. And maybe you think that when I look at my bank account, I have no idea where it's going to come from for me to be generous. Like I look at the numbers, I look at the bottom line and I'm hearing what you're saying, but I just don't see naturally, mathematically, how it's possible for me to be generous. And here we are in this series of generosity and we're talking about giving, we're talking about giving of our finances. But Eric, I've got nothing to give. Like, be real. Summer is coming up. Kids are home for an extra amount of time. Grocery bill is up because the price of grocery is crazy high. Don't even get me started on the eggs. I know Pastor Brad said that last week, but come on. Like, they're just eggs. Like, why are they $9 for six? Okay, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but you, you see where I'm, where I'm going with this. And maybe you're thinking my mortgage is coming up, my rent is due, it's getting to the end of the month and my gas tank is on E and now my parents tell me that I have to be the one to put the gas in the tank. When did that happen? When you graduate high school, Veronica, that's when that happens. That's why the statistics are dropping for people graduating high school because they don't wanna pay for their own gas. But seriously, all of those things are real. And we can experience every one of those. And then we hear this talk about generosity. Our response can be the response of the woman. I've got nothing at all. When we're in a financial crisis and feel like we have nothing to give, we can think that we have nothing at all. And in this series, we're talking about the genius of generosity, what the world calls foolish, God calls genius. So how can we examine what we have? Because we all have something. How can we examine that? See what we have and see how we can live a generous life because we want to be generous. We want to make genius decisions with our finances that further the kingdom of God. But how can we do that? Especially how can we do that when we feel like we have nothing at all? How can we do that? Let's look back at the scripture. Chapter four, verse three through four. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here. The flask of oil that she would have had would have been a flask that held anywhere between 8 to 16 ounces of oil. So that's like, that's like one cup. So everybody kind of hold out your hand and look at, as you cup your hand, look at the inside of that. That's about how much oil she would have had inside that flask. And here's a picture to kind of give us some context. That's more or less what it would have looked like that she would have had. Now, on the, on the screen, man, that's huge. There, there's a lot of oil that you could fit in that. But again, your hand, right? just a cup of oil. When we were in Israel, we learned so many things specifically about oil. Olive oil is precious, because it is used for everything. I mean, it is used for healing wounds, it is used for baking bread, it is used for anointing animals, it is used to heat a home. Like, it is, it is precious. It's used for everything. And so for this woman to look at this flask of olive oil that she had, it was, it was everything. And it was literally all that she had. And the jars, the jars that she was told to borrow, they would have looked something like this. And what's interesting about these jars is that it was customary for families to have several of these in their home. But for Elisha to tell her to go borrow ones from your friends, what does that help us understand? It helps us understand that she's, if she's having to borrow jars to fill them, that means that the ones that she has are empty. And she borrows others from her friends that are, that are hers are empty, she borrows other empty ones. And Scripture doesn't tell us this, okay? Scripture does not tell us this, but you've got to wonder what she was thinking when Elisha was giving her the instructions of what to do. Go into your house with your kids, shut the door behind you, and begin pouring out of the flask into the jars as they're filled, set one aside, and do it again. I know what I would have been thinking. Like, set them aside when they're filled? Do you not see the flask of oil that I have? Do you not see the jar that you're telling me to fill it in? Here's a a picture to give us some context side by side. So there you go. Here's the flask of oil, and here's the jar that she's supposed to fill. And Elisha is saying, as each one is filled, set it aside and fill another. Set it aside and fill another. I'm looking at that, and I'm like, that's not how math works. <laughs> it's just not. And when we look at our finances, when we see the things that we have, and we look at the things that we need to do, it just doesn't make sense. How's that going to work? But here, here's the thing that we learn from this woman. I love her response. Look at, uh, look at verse five through six. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. She did what she was told. What I love about that and what that teaches us is how there is so much power in obedience. Something happens that's so powerful when you are faithful to what God is calling you to give. That's why every time that we talk about what it means to be generous, what it means to give, when we have a a special offering and we're asking you to give above and beyond that, what do we say each and every time? We tell you to pray and we tell you to ask God what would you have me give? And to just be faithful to that. Just to be faithful to what God is telling you to do. And what we see in the faithfulness of this woman is this, and I want you to write this down because this is gonna help us as we kind of unpack the last bit of this scripture. It takes faith to give, but faith is built through giving. It takes faith to give, but faith is built through giving. But in my flesh, let me just be honest and say, it can be hard though. Like like when you do the math and you're not sure how in the natural it's gonna work out. But that's why I love the, the economy of God. Because God does things in a supernatural way that in the natural don't make sense. That's why it's called supernatural. That's why it's called a miraculous provision. It doesn't make sense, but it always works out. And it always builds your faith. And I truly believe that God honors faithful giving. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them that. Tell them God honors faithful giving. And all it takes is a small flask. It doesn't take much. And sometimes we can hear a story of generosity that can just paralyze us. Because we hear an incredible story about an incredible amount of money that somebody gave to something or to someone or to an organization. And then we can compare it to what we could possibly give. And then we, we think it's nowhere near as much so we don't even, we don't even bother. We just think, ah, it's not going to make that big of a difference compared to this. And you might not think that it's a lot that you have to give, but it is everything when you give. It's everything. The amount might not feel like much, but when you give it to God, it means everything. The oil that this woman had, it wasn't a lot, but it was everything. And the impact that it made and the difference that it made is incredible, we were able to celebrate the, uh, the result of the, the Lent offering that we took during the season of Lent to do some much needed repairs on the office building just across our property. And my family and I, we gave in that. Wasn't much, but we gave what, what God, what we felt like God had called us to give. And we raised over $25,000 for that. And when I hear that, yeah, we can clap for that. That's exciting. And when I step back and look at that, that, that's a miraculous provision of God. It was a miracle that I was able to see and that built my faith. And think about this. This oil was all that she had. So the idea of her pouring it out is incredible. The idea of her pouring this out, the faith that she had to have to trust God. I mean, she was literally pouring out everything that she had but she was trusting God to see her through. Drop by drop, she was trusting God to see her through. And what I love about the empty jars is the empty jars represent a need that needs to be met. And I think that the empty jars also represent faith. What empty jars do you see in your life? What empty jars do you, do you have? What, what needs do you have that need to be met. I've told several stories about our van. And for those of you that, that are new, our van uh, is not long for this world. <laughs> it's just not. And we have needed a new vehicle for our family for, for a long time. And my wife and I began to, to pray, specifically a few years ago, for God to somehow figure it out for us to get a new, a new car, a new vehicle. Because the, the truth of the matter is car prices are nuts. One, one of the students that comes on Wednesday, she got a used car cheaper than a, no wait, what am I saying here? I'm, I'm getting confused. What is it? She got a, thank you. I didn't even have my notes, look at that. She got a new car cheaper than she could have paid for a used car. That, that doesn't make sense, right? Like the, the new car should be more expensive than a car that somebody's driven around for five years. So they're, they're just crazy. And Pastor Brad said this uh, not too long ago, and it really stood out to me, and, and it was something that I incorporated into, into my prayer specifically for this. He said, if you want specific results, pray, for, pray specific prayers. And boy, were we specific. For years, we've been praying, and some of the specifics that we prayed was, we just want a car that isn't going to just decide halfway through the, the drive, you know what, I'm, I'm done for right now. <laughs> like, there's point A and point B, and we just want to complete that. <laughs> like, there were times that it would just shut off, lights off, everything, power just pff, Gone. And we wanted a car that wouldn't leave a trail of breadcrumbs from where we were just at to then help us go where we were going. We, uh, we prayed specifically that it wouldn't just die, shut down, like new car, used car, didn't matter. We just, we just prayed and we just trusted God and we said, you know that we need a new car. Trust me, we know that we needed a new car. And so we just prayed specifically to that. And we, we made this decision that no matter what, that we were going to be faithful and continue to give. Nothing was gonna change about that. We were gonna be, continue to be faithful in our giving. And that's what doesn't make sense to the world, right? What the world says is foolish, God says is genius. And so the world sees this as you need a new car, get a new car, Stop giving to the local church and get what you need for your family. Don't be foolish. And sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to me either. Like there are times when, when, when I am faithful to tithe and I'll see a car payment when I'm, when I'm pushing the donate button. I'm like, okay, that could be, that could be a car payment. Like I, I just do, I just see that sometimes. But what do we know? We know that what the world calls foolish, God calls genius, and we, my, my family and I, we just knew that somehow, some way, God was gonna figure it out. And so over the course of the last couple years, we just continued to pray. Well, about a month ago, uh, Sib's older brother, oldest brother, Chris, he, uh, he calls her and says, hey, are you guys planning on coming out to Maddie's graduation this next month? Which was just a couple weeks ago. They live in Colorado, and my niece just graduated from college. And we said, yeah, we're—I mean, we're planning on being there. And he said, okay, cool, cool. Hey, we want to give you her old, her old Honda Pilot, and so you guys can drive that home, and 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 we want to, we want to give that to you. Now it's, it's a band aid, he said. Like, I mean, you, in in some time frame, you're going to need a new car, but but I promise you that this this Honda Pilot won't just die out of nowhere. It's not going to leave a trail of parts. It's not going to just make up its mind and just be like, you know what, I'm just going to call it quits for today, okay? It's kind of hot outside. This humidity is nuts. <laughs> and what was interesting about that was those were a lot of the specifics that we were praying for. And so we go to the graduation and, and we, we drive home in this Honda, well, I didn't, my wife drove it. It's kind of her adventure mobile. It's uh, the tried and true Ad- adventure mobile, like it's, it's incredible, and when I, when I, every time I look at the car, I'm just blown away at the provision of God. Like in the natural, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. But that's what I love about the miracles that God does and the miracles and in, in the miraculous ways that God provides. What the world calls foolish, God calls genius. And we know that it takes faith to give, but faith is built through giving. It can can just feel so hard and so difficult to give. But on the the other side of that, your faith is built through giving. Again, that doesn't make sense. Like it takes faith to give. Well, how do you build faith? You give. But you said it takes faith to give, but then how do I get the faith to give? You give. Like, it doesn't make sense. It takes faith to give, but faith is built through giving. And I love, I love how part of her instructions that Elisha gave her were to take her sons with her. Like, they were able to share in the miracle. How cool is that? And scripture doesn't tell us this, but you've gotta wonder, the next time that her boys needed something, the next time that her boys had some kind of thing that needed to be provided and they weren't sure how it was gonna work out, like, did they remember this story? Did they, did they remember, hey, remember the story with mom and the flask? And, I mean, you and I were looking at each other like, this woman is crazy. This is just not going to happen. And then jar after jar after jar after jar after jar was filled. God's got this. Again, I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but what I see from this story is that every drop of oil, their faith was being built. And that's a powerful visual for me. And that's just one thing that I need in life. I need visuals. I need tangible reminders of God's provision in my life because I drift. My faith, my trust, it can drift. And I can forget that what God has done in the past, I I can wonder if he's gonna continue to do that again. And so I wanna invite my wife up. She's going to, she's gonna peel back the curtain on something that we have in our home that serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness.
1: You can use mine. Oops, sorry, forgot the microphone already. Um, Eric and I are radically different. You know, we do core purpose here and we do a gift inventory. Um, One of my top gifts is faith and another one is giving. So for me, I'm always, neither, yeah. I am always reworking our budget. I sit with it every month and I... Pinch pennies. We are a cash envelope home, but I want to figure out how to give more. That is in my personality. It's part of my gift. I love it. I, the competitive side comes out in me. So I'm like, okay, if we did this this year, next year we're going to give, like, I just want to figure it out. I just want to give more. So we get married and like he said, he, we are, he's different. We're, it's different. So, so after one, awesomely glorious fight about finances (laughs) I finally prayed finally or maybe this time I just prayed very specifically I was like God we need something in our house to remind each of us of your faithfulness and God gave me this verse Psalm 66 5 come and see what our God has done what awesome miracles he performs for his people but I changed it for us come and see what our God has done, what awesome miracles he performs for us, right? I am one of God's people. We are all God's people. What has God done for us? So I wrote it in the middle of the board and then I put a bunch of pins on it and we hung this in our bathroom. It's been hanging in our bathroom, I think six years. It's still a struggle guys, right? It's still a struggle but God is building our faith through it. So different things on here. I have, um, I met somebody for coffee one time and they, we were randomly talking and I was telling them some of my the boys' favorite snacks, favorite cereals, things like that. The next time I saw her, she provided their favorite boxes of cereal and their favorite snacks. I write it down, I pin it up there. Another time um, we were having a church barbecue and we were at the end of the month and our grocery budget, was gone, you know, nothing left. And there was a few days left and we were, you know, those days when you look in the fridge and you're like, what can we put together to make a meal, right? Well, we had a barbecue here and then in the kitchen afterwards, they were bagging up all those random empty hot dogs, right? Leftover hot dogs. And somebody said, do you guys want this? I write it down, I put it on the board. It provided for the next few days, those things we need. When Eric told that ridiculous story about the tires, the car tire, you remember, and he couldn't remember the tire parts and that Somebody here put $100 on my seat in the van that day. I write it down, I put it up. Other things, like the boys at school, right? Like um, we find out somebody's giving Oiler tickets away. We get Oiler tickets. Our family gets to go see the Oilers for free, right? You put the tickets up there. Sometimes we do not, we are so consumed by the lack of what we have but we don't see all that God has for us. We needed a tangible thing. Every day we go in there and we look at it. Eric needed a tangible thing to see, (laughs) to see (laughs) all the ways that God has provided. Some of those seem really um, small, like it's not a huge financial thing. Some have been huge for our family. It doesn't matter, right? I think of like when we were in Israel, we got the amazing opportunity to press olive oil. We got to use the oldest, still using um, stone. It was the coolest thing. And they got a basket of olives and they put it in there, and we each got to take turns pushing this giant stone and crushing it. Then they gather it all up and they put it in this basket and they use this giant corkscrew thing, and you screw it down until the oil comes out. No kidding, this much olives this much oil, right? A tiny, if you think of like an essential oil bottle, that's that much oil. So in this story with this woman, when you think about, she says, I have nothing, but hear me, what she gave was everything. She gave everything. Oil was gold back then and she gave it. And that's the generosity I want to live from. I want to live from not the lack. When Eric looks at our budget, he sees lack, and I see opportunities, right? I want to live from that. Um, This, with this changed, I used to do the giving and the tithing online, and we knew Eric needed to do it, right? Like, he needed to be the one to hit the button, to have that act of faith, to grow his faith, to be able to trust God and to see that God would provide Now, I wanna unveil the curtain a little bit on this. You guys laughed, he laughed, he talked about this. Eric was grippled in fear, paralyzed. It's not as simple as he was practicing something and wanted to go provide. We were scared when the pandemic hit. We didn't know how, when the church closed and things changed, we didn't know how we were gonna provide for our family. So he came home, I laughed hysterically because this stuff is nasty.
0: <laughs>
1: I heard you behind me. She said, we had that last night or two nights ago. And I was like, <laughs> But, <laughs> and Noah's like, that's camping food. So, okay, some people, it's a treasure, okay, I got it. Um, but after praying and talking and laughing and me kind of teasing him, we put these on our counter. I said, God has always provided. And we're going to commit to giving as much as we always have. And we are not going to use these during the pandemic. They sat on the counter for two years until last December when I donated them to a food drive at the boys' school. God is faithful. God will provide. God will grow our faith as we give.
0: Mm. It takes faith to give, but faith is built through giving. And I really believe the more and more that we're reminded of what God has done, that uh, that's what's going to give us faith to believe for what he's going to continue to do. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this story that, that challenges us and that encourages us. I thank you for the testimony of this woman and what it is that we have to, to learn from her. And the way that you provided is, was, a, was a miracle. And my prayer is that as we have been talking about the genius of faith, that you would just continue to, to grow our faith. Help us see the things that you've done Remind us of your faithfulness. And I pray that as we continue to be faithful to to you, that we just have story after story after story of your faithfulness to us. We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you.
1: Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at CORE Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday.
0: And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.